We are continuing our sermon series this morning in Genesis. Text for today begins at the end of Genesis 26. I'll start reading in Genesis 26, verse 34. This is God's word to us. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemith, daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, there's probably a whole sermon series in those couple of verses, but I'm going to leave that there for today and continue with the narrative of what happens in the tension of this family, and particularly the two sons. In chapter 27, verse 1, we see that Isaac is now very old and has gone blind. He calls his oldest son Esau to him, and he tells him to go out hunting and prepare a meal of wild game, and then he will give his son his blessing. But in verse 5, his wife, Rebecca, overhears what's said and concocts a plan to make sure that her preferred son, Jacob, gets Isaac's blessing rather than Esau. And so while Esau is out hunting, fulfilling his father's wishes, she has Jacob go get two young goats. She prepares the meal, puts goat skins on Jacob's arms and the back of his neck, and dresses Jacob in Esau's clothes, and sends him in to deceive his father and to steal the blessing from his brother. We pick up the account in Genesis 27, verse 18. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, Jacob replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? 
I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. And then picking up in the next chapter, Genesis 28, 1 through 5. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who is the mother of Jacob and Esau. Let's pray. God, as we consider your words today, this well-known story of deception and blessing may you point us to the true meaning to the abundant hope found in these words we pray that you will speak and that we will listen it's in jesus name that we pray amen well, i warned you that some of these passages will get quite long as we move through genesis this is one of those passages that just sort of demands to be handled as a whole it's one continual narrative i spent some time 
looking in the last few weeks at how other preachers have handled this text, hoping I could split it up, but what I noticed is that when, when they did that, they almost always ended up missing the arc of the text, missing the direction in which the passage is going, and, and oftentimes ended up sort of devolving into just a moral or ethical lesson and sacrificing the, the beauty of the text. And so as we evaluate Genesis 27 and the verses right before and right after, we'll see three things come into focus. The first thing that comes into focus is the sinfulness of all people. It's pretty simple to see the sinful actions of Jacob and his mother, the passage, deceiving poor old Isaac. Rebecca and Jacob go to extreme measures to pull one over on Isaac. Think for a moment about how dysfunctional this family is. Deceit and competition and favoritism and hatred. But we also can't miss Esau's sin that shows up in the passage as well. It's the reason that I included the verses at the end of chapter 26 about Esau marrying the two Hittite women. Now, this might not seem like a, like a significant issue or a significant problem for most of us, and in fact, it isn't. If you're unmarried, you are free to, to marry someone from a different race, a different ethnic background, different nationality. That's perfectly fine. But, but the children of Abraham did not have that freedom. As we know, God was carving out a very specific group of people through whom he would accomplish the redemption of the world. God is doing something in our text, something that's bigger than just Genesis chapter 27. And it was important that that particular line be preserved. This actually didn't have anything to do with race or ethnicity. It had everything to do with idolatry. The Hittites were a great political and military powerhouse. They controlled much of the region that we know today as the nation of Turkey. They worshipped a variety of gods and goddesses, especially gods relating to nature, things like fertility, the sun, and the weather. If you've done much Old Testament study, you know that any time that God's people get too close to their neighbors, any time that they begin to intermarry or have too much connection with their neighbors, they always drift from the Lord and begin worshiping other false gods. And so this lies at the heart of Esau's problem. He's literally in bed with the enemy. He married the daughters of people who were a direct threat to what God was doing, to what he was accomplishing through these particular people. And, and, and everyone in the family Top to bottom, everyone in the family would go on to pay for their actions, for their sin. They would bear the consequences. Rebecca, for example, would lose her beloved son. At the end of our text, we see that Jacob goes to live with his uncle Laban, and he would be there for decades, 20 years. No phone calls, no FaceTime. Rebecca lost her son. For Jacob, there, there's a great irony in what happens in the coming chapters of Genesis. Jacob, the great deceiver, the great manipulator, would be deceived in an epic way by his uncle Laban. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, later in life, he would be deceived by his own sons into thinking that his own beloved son, Joseph, was dead for years. Great irony in what happens in our text but this is important because if we only focus on 
this passage, we might be tempted to think that just like his father and grandfather before him, this act of deception worked out pretty well for him. But of course, it actually resulted in great pain. Sin always does that. It always promises joy, promises pleasure, always eventually results in pain and heartache. Notice verse 41 of our text. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Now there's some irony there. Esau's saying, my dad's about to die. And in reality, he would live for a long time. We'll we'll talk about that in coming chapters. Isaac's going to live for a long time from this moment on. But Esau says, I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's heart is poisoned by his sin, by his anger, by his resentment, by his idolatry. Jacob's life would be turned upside down by his sin. That's what sin does. Thankfully, the story doesn't end with Rebecca and Isaac fighting over which son is better. The story doesn't end with Esau plotting his brother's murder and chasing after other gods. And the story doesn't end with Jacob running away, living in exile, deceived by his uncle. And that brings me to the second thing that comes into focus in our text today, and that's the redemptive plan of God. We've talked about this to some degree already. This is probably the major theme of Genesis. God setting the stage for his plan of redemption, setting apart the family through whom he would redeem and rescue the world. But notice the language of verses 28 and following. The blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob. He says, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. Those who bless you be blessed. Think about that language. And then then we skip down to the second blessing that Jacob receives right before he goes off running from his brother, hoping to find a wife. Right before he leaves, chapter 28, verse 3, Isaac gives him another blessing. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Isaac gives to Jacob the blessing and the promise that God gave to his father Abraham. He bestows upon him the blessing and the promises of God. This is the promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And of course, this blessing we know is not just about this family. This blessing is not just about Israel. It's not just about the Hebrew people someday possessing this promised land. It's not about military or political success. It's all pointing all of this blessing promise language is pointing somewhere specific to one specific person to the true blessing that God would send when it becomes apparent to Esau and Isaac what happened Esau pleads with his father in verse 38 he says do you have only one blessing my father bless me too my father 
But Isaac apparently only has one blessing. Many explanations for this. Many people have tried to understand why Isaac can't take back, can't rescind his blessing and give it to Esau. We just don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't address that. But what we do know is that it was God's will to bless Jacob. In his commentary on this passage, uh, Martin Luther says that we can only understand this. We can only make sense of what happens here as a reminder of the, the blessing that God gives, the promises that God gives, that the promises of God do not change. That when God gives a promise, when God gives a blessing, when God gives a gift, it will never be taken back. Romans 11, uh, verse 29, says this. It's an interesting verse. It says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That they will never be taken away, never pulled back. Any gift that God gives is sure, is dependable, is trustworthy, is never revoked. But here's what's so fascinating about this, and we've seen this already in Genesis, that God will utilize, God will use the sin of humanity to further his redemptive plan. God's desire is not that Jacob would lie to his father. That's not God's desire. But God, in his all-knowing power, weaved that event of sin into his redemptive plan. That's what God does, and that is good news for us. That God doesn't just have the ability to utilize the, the good things that we do for his purpose, for his glory. He, he also has the ability and over and over and over again does use the sin and the mistakes of your past and my past for his good. In fact, that's what God does best, perhaps. He takes the sinful mess that humanity has created and he brings it together for good. I don't know every story represented in this room today. And I certainly don't have the ability, thankfully, to gaze into your hearts. But this passage should bring great hope to everyone here. Whatever your past, whatever your struggle this morning, Whatever you're battling with, whatever guilt or pain, resentment you carry, our God can use even your sin and especially your weakness in his plan to rescue the world from sin. In fact, spoiler alert here, this is how Genesis ends. This is the exact theme upon which Genesis ends. One of the final verses of the book in Genesis chapter 50, we see Joseph, the grandson of Isaac, Jacob's son, comforting his brothers, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, who wanted him dead. Joseph comforts them and he says something incredible. He says, what you meant for evil, God used for good, that many would be saved. Think about those words. God takes our sin, that the evil that we do, the failure and the mistakes and the heartache that we cause, and God uses it for good that many, as Joseph says, that many might be saved. The fool hears those words and embraces their sin. Says, I might as well sin because God can use it for good anyway. That's what the fool does. 
the wise person hears those words of the goodness and the mercy of our God and flees to the cross in repentance and faith. God is carrying out his redemptive plan and he even utilizes the sin and the mess of Isaac and Rebekah, of Esau and Jacob, that the blessing might continue, that they might be saved, that the true answer for our sin might come into the world. Two things that have come into focus so far in this passage, the sinfulness of all people, the redemptive plan of God, and third and finally I want you to see the hope of salvation. I don't know if anything that you heard when I was reading the text caught your attention, but Jesus actually shows up pretty clearly in our passage today. That shouldn't be surprising. We've seen him all over Genesis already, but but there are several parallels, several images, several details of this story that once I point them out to you, if you haven't noticed them already, once I point them out to you, I, I hope that you'll never read this story again without seeing Jesus jump off the page. So let me share three ways that this account of Jacob and Esau shows us our hope of salvation. The first one that I want to point out shows up in verse 9 and again in verse 16. Verse 9, go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. And then we jump down to verse 16 and it says this, she being Rebecca also covered Jacob's hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Might not seem significant, but what we see is this. We see the sacrifice necessary to ensure the blessing. Two young goats were sacrificed for their meat and for their hide in order to ensure that Isaac's blessing would be given to Jacob. Jacob couldn't get Isaac's blessing on his own. Without the skin of those goats, Isaac would have known right away that it wasn't Esau. Do you see this picture? There had to be a sacrifice made in order to ensure that Jacob would receive the blessing, the promise of salvation. Of course, we're standing on the doorstep of Holy Week, the week in which we celebrate our Savior, the the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sin of the world, that we might receive the blessing, that we might receive the gift of salvation that we could never receive on our own. The sacrifice that was necessary to ensure the blessing. The second way that, we, that our text shows us the hope of salvation is this, that, that we are clothed in the clothes of the firstborn. Verse 15, Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. And then in verse 27, we see when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. We see this very imagery in the baptism service, right? Those words from Galatians 3.27, all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We talked last week about how scripture repeatedly refers to Jesus as the firstborn. I can think this week of just a, a half dozen places off the top of my head where Jesus is called the firstborn. Isn't this beautiful? Jacob, the younger brother, was dressed in the clothes of the firstborn. That he might be 
found acceptable according to the Father and receive the blessing. And Scripture says that in our baptism we have been clothed with Christ. We have been found acceptable according to the Father. We have received the blessing. Listen to the words of Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus is the firstborn, the older brother, the righteous perfection of our older brother, his perfect obedience to the law, his sinless life is gifted to us, is given to us, is wrapped around us. We are dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and it's because of him that we receive the blessing of salvation promised by our Father. Our only hope at receiving the Father's blessing is to be clothed in the clothes of the firstborn. One more way that we see the hope of salvation in our text is this. The deceitful secondborn receives the blessing while the true firstborn receives the curse. Just like Jacob, we are self-serving, sinful, willing to do whatever it takes to get our way. There really is nothing fair about our text today, is there? Last week, Jacob manipulated his older brother out of his birthright, and this week he deceives his father out of the blessing that was intended for Esau. Jacob gets the blessing, the promise that God had given to Abraham. And what does Esau get? Verse 39, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. Jacob gets the blessing, the promise of hope, and Esau gets the curse. We are the deceitful, sinful secondborn who gets the blessing while our older brother takes the curse of sin upon himself. Except the true firstborn does it willingly. And our father is not deceived. It's not a trick. It's the plan. It's the very meaning and purpose of the blessing all along. The blessing promised to Abraham and to Isaac and now to Jacob has been planned in this way all along that the true firstborn the Lord Jesus Christ would go to the cross, would take the curse of sin and death and hell upon himself. Not only would he serve his sinful younger brothers and sisters, he would die for them in their place for their sin, that they might receive the Father's blessing in full. This text is all about the gospel. In just a moment, we get to receive the body and blood of Jesus, the true firstborn, who bore the curse for us. And we receive the promise, the blessing, all because of our firstborn brother, who's clothed us in his righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, you were cursed for us, and we have received the blessing.
promise, the hope of eternal life. You took the sin of the world. We thank you for this text today that centuries before you were made incarnate tells us the story of Jacob and Esau, but even more tells us the story of your faithful love and goodness and mercy to us. We confess our sin to you. We are grateful for your plan of redemption and we give you thanks for the sacrifice, for clothing us in your righteousness, for doing everything that was necessary. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.